0: If it's the first time uh, that you're here, it is uh, an honor that you're here. So we want to make sure and be a blessing to you. Uh, go by the Welcome Center, as the video said. We want to answer any questions that you have. have got a gift for you, again, if it's your first time. But we've been going through this study in the book of Acts uh, on the church, and uh, it has just been, I-, I believe, essential. And I think as the time goes on uh, in our nation, it becomes even more essential for us to remember who we are our identity and what we're supposed to be doing while we're even here uh, on this earth still it's easy to lose that uh, with the craziness in the world it's it's easy to get wrapped up in other things and forget why God still has us here and so again it's a, a good uh, reminder as we go through these points last week we saw two of them uh, the first point was this we must see obstacles in our lives, at life as opportunities to glorify the king of kings again uh, the apostle Paul we've seen him go up against one obstacle after the next. And every time that he comes up to these obstacles, he, sees, he seizes the opportunity to glorify the Lord. And again, it's a great example for us. Every time that we come up with an obstacle, what, what do we end up doing? So many times we say, man, how do I get back to that place of comfort? How do I get, how do I get my life back? How do I get back control of things that, and, and have things the way that I like them? Uh, I believe we do that a lot. I believe that we're not always looking... How we can glorify God even in this difficulty, even in this, with this obstacle in front of me, even how hard life is right now with this health thing and this financial thing, this relational thing, this other thing, this other thing. How hard life is right now, what we want to do with that is say, well, I want to get back to easy living. I want to get back to when I'm not worried about my finances or my job or my relationship or my health or anything else or what's going on in the nation. I just want to go back to where things are comfortable. Well, we've got to see those obstacles as opportunities to glorify the king of kings. The second thing, we must passionately pursue and proclaim truth. Even, and I said even, or, even and if, uh, others think that we're crazy. Or even if and when others think we're crazy. Um, you know, the, uh, the apostle Paul was given an account before the king, uh, King Herod Agrippa. And, and he had already done this before two governors, Felix and Festus. And now before the king of, of Israel, he says... Uh, you know, you, you need to be a Christian, basically. And he says this, you, you, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I'm really close. In a short amount of time, you've persuaded me to do this. And right before that, Festus tells him, man, you, you, you've gone crazy. A lot of learning has made you go crazy. And uh, again, it doesn't change the course of Paul's lives. It shouldn't change the course of our lives. So often I think we're afraid of what people are going to say to us when we try to share Jesus with them. I think we're afraid of what people might try to do to us call us a name not be friends with us maybe it's a family member i don't want to be there around them anymore let's not invite them to the next family gathering so many times we're afraid of sharing jesus with people and i think a lot of times it's because we're afraid of what they're going to think or say about us and man we just can't do that we have got to passionately pursue and proclaim the truth while we have time again paul has had these opportunities to share the testimony of jesus christ through much difficulty and look at our lives in our lives, we're not facing persecution. We're not facing imprisonment or death or, or beheading, uh, beheading. We're not facing those things in our life right now. And yet we see these examples over and over in scriptures of, of men and women who are. He, he's he's run, after one, run into one obstacle after the other, one difficulty after the other. And the result of all of this, as I said, the last thing we saw, King Agrippa said, this man might have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar, right? That's the last thing that we saw. He, he, he pulls uh, Festus aside and, and all the, the people that, that have Paul's life in, in their hands, their, his life in their hands, if you will. And he says, you know, this guy, he would have been set free. I mean, listen to him. He's not committed a crime. He's not even done anything to actually offend the law of the Jews. And, and had he not appealed to Caesar, we'd let him go. I don't know about you, but when you hear things like that, it can kind of bring a little bit of frustration, it can bring regret, it can bring a lot of thoughts to your mind whenever you hear, well, if you wouldn't have done that, or you know if if you would have done this, you could have, or if you wouldn't have done that, you first point in our message today Right off the bat in this verse, I think it's so important because I think so many people get dominated by the thoughts in their heads. And it's this, we must not dwell in the past or live in the what ifs that we have no control over. We must not dwell in the past or in the what ifs that we have no control over. And that what if, of course, goes into the past. It goes into the future. Right, Because we can always speculate on if we would have done this, I wonder how this would have turned out. What, what if I would have not done this? Or what if this would have happened? And then we can turn it to the future. Well, I wonder what happens if, if this happens. Well, I wonder what if, what if this goes on in, in, in November? Or what if we must not dwell in the past or in the what ifs that we have no control over? Too many people are laden down with stress today. I mean, we could go around the room and probably be here all day long about the different things that we're thinking about, we're worrying about, we're stressing over, the things that, that, that might happen because of decisions that we made or, or we have to make right now, with the decisions that lie ahead that, again, those what ifs, a lot of people are dealing with stress today. There are things that we have to understand that we just have no idea about. I have no idea what's going to happen in the elections in November. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. There's, there's plans that we have. There's plans that we even have as a family. But I, I tell you this, I, I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? They say, well, what if this goes on? I don't know. I have no idea. Again, what's next for our nation? I have no idea. Well, what if gas goes to X amount, then what are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> There are other things, relational things. It's like I said, political things, health things. Right? What's next? Well, what if this happens? What what if I get this, or what if I get that? There are things that we stay in. Some someone let me down. Someone hurt my feelings. Someone offended me. We messed up, or we succeeded. Oh, there's so many different variables that we can, we can be laden down with in the past. Thoughts and worries and fears of, of, of repercussions or, 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 or guilt of, of sins committed or, or even, again, the what-ifs of, of, of the now and the future and, and what if this happens or what if they don't and all of those things. And I want to encourage you this morning not to live there, not to live in these things. Paul himself said this, writing from a Roman prison, right, he's he's about to go to Rome, by the way, his first trip to Rome, his first imprisonment, and there he's going to be writing some letters to some of the churches, and one of those letters he's going to write is to these Philippian believers from a Roman prison. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I haven't laid hold of this maturity, this complete person, this, this, this being who I'm supposed to be in Christ, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The Apostle Paul had, had persecuted the church. He was, he was the least of the apostles, he said. He was, he was the chiefest of sinners. We're going to see some of those verses again this morning. He, he didn't feel that he was worthy and he knew himself from a Roman prison cell. Think about this again. You've been on the journey if you've been here. He he has been used by God in astronomical ways, stood before kings and governors and and given the testimony of Jesus Christ before all these people. And and God has used him to start churches and, and see countless thousands of people, if not me at this point in time, millions of people come to Jesus Christ. Again, the New Testament church is largely put in motion by Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul. And there he is in the Roman prison cell and he says this. Look, I haven't made it. I haven't made it, but one thing I've learned to do. I can can go back and let my past dominate me. I can go back and let the decisions, the things I've said, all these things, I can let them dominate me. And I could could live right now wondering what's going to happen to me, but here's what I've learned to do. Forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. And he was talking about Jesus Christ is Lord. I can reach for Him. I can push for Him. I can press for Him. I can look to Him. I can live for Him. That's what I can do. I don't know anything else, but that's what I can do. Again, so many times we allow the things that have already been forgiven, that are already under the blood, to surface and then begin to dictate and then oftentimes define who we are. In Jesus Christ. Why? So Satan is the master of guilt. There you are. You're there, you're there here at this altar. There you're there in your car on the side of the road. You're you're in your house. You're you're wherever you are, and you're you're crying and you're calling out to God, "Forgive me. I'm sorry. I've 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 I've, I've let you down. I've I've sinned against you. Please forgive me." I shouldn't have treated that person that way. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have have gone there. I shouldn't have looked at that. Whatever the case may be, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And Jesus, according to his word, says that if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you. It says that he he, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, that that he he forgives us. He casts them in the sea of forgetfulness. They're to be remembered no more. And yet, sometimes in our life, we come across those circumstances and those times that, that past sin begins to surface, and, and then all of a sudden we start feeling guilty. It's not the Lord. God, God's forgiven, He's forgotten, He's cast it, it, it's gone. They begin to dominate our life and even render us ineffective at times for the kingdom. Paul could have been there. He could have said, I, I, like he said, I'm the chief of sinners, I'm, I'm the least to be called an apostle. Worthy to be called an apostle? I, I, I'm not. Listen, Satan is the father of lies. He loves to bring up our past to incapacitate us. But again, as I said, I don't want to remember, what, we've already read this, but this is what Paul said to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8. And last of all, he's talking about himself, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles. And not, listen to what he says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, but it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. It wasn't, the the, the fact that God showed me grace wasn't an empty expression of grace to me because here's what I did, I labored even more than all of them. I, I put my whole life on the line for Jesus Christ because of his grace that he gave to me. Yet it wasn't me, it was the grace of God with me. Again, because of God's saving grace in in Paul's life from such a wicked past, his determination was that he was going to labor for the rest of his life for the one who gave his life for him. I I just wonder if that's what our lives look like today. I I wonder as as Americans, as Christians, if, if our life, is lived in such desperate and passionate pursuit of Christ that we're willing to face and go through anything. I wonder if we see the grace of God given to us the same way that Paul did. Oh, how wise we would be to follow the same pattern that we see in him. You know, I don't deserve anything, except for punishment. If we would view our lives, I don't deserve anything, But wrath, because I am good at one thing, me me, myself, me, I'm good at one thing, failing and sinning. It's only the power of God, it's only the grace of God, it's only the Holy Spirit of God. Everything is God's that changed me and that gave me a new life and gave me a new desire, To live after him. And the only way that I can live in obedience to his word and fulfill his will is the power that he has given to me. So it's nothing of me. We so often forget that. We so often forget that we're living from a place of debt. Not that we live in debt because we are trying to repay something. But man, because of the grace of God he gave to us, we should have the same outlook in our life. Paul would write under the Holy Spirit's inspiration to his son in the ministry, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me. Again, who was it that gave him strength? Jesus Christ. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving uh, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So many people say, man, I I just can't be saved. I can't be a Christian. Uh, God couldn't forgive me of the sins that I've done. Listen, if you're here today, and and, and if you have never persecuted, in other words, when I say persecute, we're talking about killing people who are following Jesus. If you've never ran into people's houses, kicked down their doors, drugged them to prison because they were a Christian, then you can't compare the life that you lived in sin to the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I am the chiefest of all sinners because if you want to talk about attacking God, I was attacking God in the very vilest and most violent sense. I was taking his, the members of his body apart. I was ripping them limb by limb, dragging them to prison and making sure they were dead so they could never share the truth about him again. He said, but he saved me. Paul said he saved me so that he would demonstrate his perfect patience and it would set an example for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. That nobody was too far from God to save. That nobody was too much of a sinner that he couldn't save and cleanse and make new again. Nobody. He said, that's why he did this in my life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If God saw us while we were still sinners, which he did, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He saw us and he died for us, then we need to remember that about our past. We need to remember that God knew how bad of a sinner we were when he went to the cross. He knew the vilest thoughts, words, deeds that we would ever commit. And not just you and I, but all of us combined. And he still went to the cross. And he still paid the price that was sufficient to cover all of our sins. We need to remember that when we start thinking about our past. and start remembering that when we, we, we start to worry about even what lies ahead. If God is big enough to handle our past, if he's big, big enough to handle all of our sin and all of our sin combined... Guess what he's big enough to handle? Our future. So you're not worried at all? Look, I, I'm, I'm, I would say heavy hearted and concerned about the direction of our nation. I'm broken hearted about what our young people are seeing and living in and coming up in. What they're being exposed to. Some of the things that you and I, when we were kids, had not even a care or thought about. So I'm absolutely heavy-hearted, broken-hearted, concerned about where we are as a people and a nation. I was driving this weekend and just spending some time with the Lord, and I was listening to different Bible chapters um, on the audio Bible as I was driving and and, uh, just coming to some... Just some sobering realities, which we already know. And it's this, that every nation has its time. All the, all the, num- all the days, the, 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 the years of every nation are numbered. There have been rises and falls of kingdoms throughout all of mankind's history. And I don't know if we're seeing the closing of the chapter of the kingdom that we've lived in or not but I know this I'm not worried about it because it's all gonna come to an end at some point God is in control he's big enough to handle. he's big enough to handle my sins and your sins and all of our sins he's big enough to handle what lies ahead he's eternal so how, how, do, how can you have so much confidence and assurance and how can you not be worried or stressed about it because I know who my faith is in and, and, and I know there's nothing that I can do. I, I can't step one second into the future and change anything with any worry or fear that I have right now. There's nothing I can do about it. All I have control of right now is right now. That's all I can do. And I can trust him for what lies ahead because he is eternal and he is all powerful. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things long past, for I am God. Remember what God did in your past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know why I'm not stressed? Because I know what God promised in his word. Because even if it has to go through difficulty, even if if the church and us, we have to go through similar things that the Apostle Paul did and much of the church and most of the church through all of history, guess what? It's going to be okay because God's purpose will be established and he will accomplish all his good pleasure. Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I'm the alpha, I'm the beginning, and the omega, in the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Near the end of the book, he says, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the the spring of the water of life without cost. From that same Roman prison, as we read a while ago in Philippians chapter 3, chapter 4, he would say say this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In Proverbs, the book of practical wisdom, we're told in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, to lean not with it to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Our second point is this, we must never forget the church is God's plan A. We must never forget the church is God's plan A. You say, well, where was that in that? We're gonna read it. <laughs> Chapter 27, verse one, when it was decided, I want you to notice this in my, in my notes here. You can do it in your Bible if you'd like. I have it underlined and capitalized and bolded, but I want you to take note of this. When it was decided, here it is, that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some of the other prisoners to the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramidian ship which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, here it is again, we put out to sea. Accompanied by uh, Aristarchus, Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, here it is again, we put in at Sidon. Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. For there, here you go again, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary to the stormy season. Here it is again, when we, had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. There it is again. We landed in Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, the Day, uh, the, uh, day of Atonement, Paul began to admonish them. Now I know it's an obvious pronoun because Luke, the physician, both the author of Luke and the book of Acts, is writing this account. So of course it made sense that he was with him and that he would add himself to this. But I want you to know that Luke and the gentleman that he named a while ago, Aristarchus, willingly went with him. I want you to think about this again. They willingly went with the prisoner, Paul, to stand before the emperor, Nero. They leave everything they know because they want to be with Paul. They they want to be with this man that God has called and used. They want to be with this movement of the New Testament church. They want to be with him. They're willing to be a friend to the prisoner. To face the unknown. To face the storm. And we're not even going to get into the storm this morning. We're going to see the storm God willing next week. But this storm that they are these winds and these storms that they're about to face is nothing small. We'll see how bad bad of a storm it is. But they went through it together, togetherness, to face the battles, to face the mountains and the valleys, to be encouraged, to exhort each other daily, to be admonished, to worship, to fulfill the mission. Listen, just because rough waters, storms, Intention shows up in the people of God it doesn't negate the we we're going to face rough waters and storms there's going to be difficult times and even those difficulties and the tensions sometimes exist within the people but it never changes the we it never changes the us We face them together. We go through them together. We navigate the waters, the difficulty together. And we see the victory together. I read an article on this point recently, this last week I think actually. And it said this, I'm just going to read some of it. The responses that we've received just to the title reveal a lot about where people are in regard to the church. The title was, The Church is Still God's Plan A. Here's some responses. Dear John, what is the church for? Well, it used to be a body of Christ, the bride of Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ. They were to love one another. Despise is closer. What is the church for? Well, I have no clue anymore. Another response. The nutjobs and the con artists... Have run people away get rid of them and maybe people might come back to church another response i had to quit hanging out with other christians so i could hang out with nice people again very true what is the church for to psychologically abuse people particularly children with indoctrination into its religion of fear. The writer would say, some critiques of the church are noting, I'm sorry, nothing more than personal grievances that they've elevated into blanket condemnations. Some critics didn't appreciate learning the truth about their behaviors, their beliefs, and lifestyles which they chose over Christ. So condemning the church becomes an act of self-rationalization and not justice. In other words, he's saying there's a lot of people that came to church and they heard that that, that sexual immorality is sin. They heard that, that you know, uh, lust and greed and all these other things are, are sin and, and they didn't like that. And so what they ended up doing is they turned that into this condemning so that they could rationalize their lifestyle and not repent and turn to Christ. Others, of course, have more legitimate complaints, he says. Christians have not been there for them at crucial points in their lives and their families. Far too often, the church has imitated the world in its worst depravities, and then rather expose sin within its ranks, close them, protecting the institution or its leaders from being, being held accountable. A great hymn of the 19th century tells a similar story. The hymn is The Church's One Foundation. That's the name of the hymn. Samuel John Stone proclaims Christ to be the security and preserver of his bride despite its obvious brokenness. This, this verse in particular speaks volumes, and this is how the song goes. Though with a scornful wonder, men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping. Their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song." These beautiful words describe the tension of life between Pentecost and the second coming and underscore something hotly debated today, even among Christians. And it's this, despite the painful reality of sin's enduring power in its members, the church is essential. Not only for Christians, but for the entire world, the church is essential. Despite all these critiques, And we could add so many more, he said. Christians must see the church as essential because Christ does. As a former colleague used to say, the church is plan A and there is no plan B. Jesus didn't call us merely to embrace a set of theological proofs and then wait for the end of the world. To be Christian is not just to believe in him for personal forgiveness and meaning and then live a moral life. When Christ saves us, he saves us into a movement. He saves us into his body, his redeemed people. Somehow joining together with other frail saints is part of his plan to restore our hearts and minds and make all things new and glorify the Father which is in heaven. He says we stick with the church not because it's perfect, but because it's his plan. After describing the church's obvious faults, Stone then, in the very next verse of that song, the church's one foundation, proclaims this The church shall never perish. Here, I'm sorry, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale against a foe or traitor, she shall prevail. She ever shall prevail. We know Luke is Paul's physician. He's also, of course, his biographer. He's the one writing down these accounts. Aristarchus is a man who's been with Paul since Macedonia. There, was dragged with Gaius out in the middle of the city. If you were here, you remember the story. They were looking for Paul, the silversmiths, their operation had been messed up, and they were looking for Paul, and they knew that Aristarchus and Gaius were with him. So what did they do? They drug these two men out in the middle of the city. He's a Thessalonian. And he was with Paul to the end. Colossians 4. Aristarchus, another prison epistle to the Colossian church. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now he's a fellow prisoner. Sends you greetings. Also Barnabas's son, interesting, his cousin, I'm sorry, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Philemon chapter 20, Philemon verse 24, sorry. As do Mark, there he is again, the one who wasn't fit for the second missionary journey. Came back, he's profitable for the ministry. Now he's a fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. He sends greetings as he is a fellow prisoner. I want you to note this morning as we're about to close that he willingly surrendered to this for the cause of Christ. It was about the we. It was about the us. It was about God's plan A and only, and God's only plan, the church. And I want you to think about this. When he was there in that prison with him, we have no evidence that he blamed Paul. We have no evidence that he got bitter. On the contrary, he chose to suffer for the cause of Christ to advance the kingdom of God. We've got to remember that the church is God's plan A. And if you're a child of God, you're a part of it. Not just to sit along and and, and be along for the ride. Not Not just to say, you know what, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. No. That was a decision that you made that God allowed you you to make in his grace. He saved you by his grace. But man, if you're a part of the church, you're still here, you are a part of making sure the kingdom is advanced. Whether it's on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether it's in a prison cell or whether it's before a king, no matter what, you are God's plan A. Let's start living like it. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I don't even know if we'll even be here. And we can determine right now to be the church, to be we, to be us, and glorify him. This morning, if you're here and you're not 100% positive that you are a part of the we or the us, you say, what exactly are you saying? This is what I'm saying. You're not positive that if you were to die today, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And I'm not talking about because you think that you've lived a good life because the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. It says that all have sinned. I'm standing here and I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I know 100% I'm going to heaven, not by anything that I've done, but by the grace of God alone. By his death on the cross for my sins, his resurrection from the grave, I know that I have eternal life. And the reason I know I've received that gift is because there was a time in my life that I fully surrendered to him. I surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. I entrusted my life. That's what the word believe means. That's what the word faith means in Scripture. It doesn't mean like you you know that these facts happened. I know that Jesus died on the cross. I believe with all sincerity of my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Guess what? So do the demons of hell. The demons have a distinct difference from those who are Jesus Christ's children and, of course, demons. You know what the difference is? They have their trust, and therefore they are following Satan. The children of God have put their trust in Jesus. Therefore, they are following Jesus. And the book of James says that our life will show that. That faith without works is dead. That if you say that you're a Christian, but it actually doesn't look like you're living the life of a Christian, you might should check that. If you're here today and you're not 100% positive that you're going to heaven, we're about to have an invitation. I want to invite you to come to this altar and we can take you aside privately. If you're a lady, we can have a lady talk with you and show you in scripture. If you're a man, we can have a gentleman talk to you. We want to we make sure that no one leaves here today with any questions about eternity, because time is short, and no one, no one knows how much time we have left on this earth. Life is a vapor. Don't miss the opportunity. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the, the, the opportunity we've had to open your word, and God, we see this just in a few scriptures this morning. These points, Lord, we know that um, you are God eternal, and you, you know the, the future from the end, the, the beginning and the, the beginning from the end. God, you are over it all. You are sovereign, and we trust you, Lord. I pray that we would re- learn this morning, that we would remember this morning. There's nothing we can do about our past, and there's nothing we can do to change uh, what's already determined in the future. No, no bit of our, our worry, no bit of our, our stress. All we can do is be faithful right now and trust you. I pray that we wouldn't be dominated by what ifs. I also pray that we would remember that we are your plan A. You came into this world to die for sinners, you rose again. and You started your church, your body, your people, your kingdom so that we would honor you and advance that kingdom. I pray that we'd be faithful to do that. Again, if there's somebody here that's not a part of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that they would not leave today without making sure on how to be a part of that. We pray you move down this invitation, and we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.